0: Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. Hey,
1: everyone. Welcome back. This is Masters of Modern. Today, we are talking about tournament prep, how to get ready for tournaments. You know, as always, we have here Glenn Jones. Hello, everyone. And also joining this week is Eugene Wang, who is the winner of GP Orlando and was the king of the hill for all of day one at GPLA. Hello. How's it going? Uh, it's going great. I've been doing well in Magic recently, so good. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, as we mentioned, we're going to do a uh, tournament prep today, as long with we're going to do a deck tech on the new combo deck that's kind of shaking up the entire modern format, Ascendancy Combo. We've actually talked about it here before, but I've always cut it because it just kind of wasn't enough and yeah. felt like we finally needed to just kind of get it out of the way so we can get it out of the way um so I guess first you know we want to kind of talk about you know since we're talking about prepping for a tournament and going for it, what is kind of your history in like how did you start playing in tournaments in the like competitive format and how you kind of went about doing that?
0: okay, so uh, i mean i started I started playing sanction magic, I would say around uh, um, the original Mirrodin and i was i just drafted for many many years that's that's like all I did um, and then uh, sometime last year around June I decided to go to Grand Prix Providence just um, for fun I found two friends that were willing to do it with me and that I, I uh, respected as Magic players so uh, you know we just went with no expectations and um, we actually did very well on day one we went 10-0 we were the only undefeated team um, <clears throat> We didn't do so well day two. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Enough to get you hooked. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so I thought, well, maybe this is something that I could do. I mean, I had a lot of fun doing it, um, and uh, we made enough money back to at least, like, partly cover the trips. Right, right. um, Yeah, after that, uh, I started playing in a lot more Grand Prix. Uh, I started flying to them, which previously was kind of unimaginable for me. And I just kind of, like, threw my head at it until I started seeing some success.
1: When you go to one of these tournaments, and and Grand Prix specifically, what are kind of some of the things you do beforehand to get ready for the tournament practice-wise or just mentally capable-wise and, you know, in standard or limited or, you know, constructed or limited even? Right. So, I mean, the
0: first thing I do is obviously make sure that all of my uh, travel arrangements are in place. I think that's... (laughs) 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 That's actually something that that Magic players could stand to do a little bit better, at least some of the ones that I know. Oh, yeah. yeah.
2: There's so many last-minute bookings and people flying standby and stuff like that. It's just not for me. Not at all.
0: Yeah, that's that's a little too crazy for me. But um, so I have a pretty organized calendar. I know when I'm going to go to something, so I know weeks in advance, and I can start preparing, or at least come up with an idea of how to prepare if it's um, if if it, the format's going to change or if it's going to be a new, new limited format. I'm not going to be able to start actual preparation until we can at least get some cards in our hands. Right. Um, and and a lot of the GPS that I go to are um, are new formats. I. I really like to go to GPs where um the limited format has just rotated.
1: Okay, maybe just my guess is because you feel like you have a better ability to like look at a new format and kind of realize what the strong things to do in it than you are at taking like an already kind of figured out format and just doing what people already know to do.
0: Uh yeah, that's part of it. Um I don't I don't have the Time to play um, infinite hours on Magic Online, uh, mm-hmm. like some people. Um, I, I work full time, so, and then uh, you know I have I have other interests too, so I I can't like also play Magic Online for thirty hours a week. Right, right. Um, so uh, I th- I think that that does give me an edge in newer formats, and then also I I have a pretty good testing group uh, locally, and, you know, when a new draft format comes out, we're able to jam a lot more. Um, drafts in than your average player in a short amount of time. So I, I feel like that actually I can credit uh, my success at GP Orlando
1: too. Right. So I mean, that that's something actually that's really important is, you know, the best type of testing environments is you're not really able to always count on local stores or something that kind of provide Definitely. players. So creating a good core group of friends it kind of a team almost, if you will, to like really kind of hone skills and really take a new format or a new deck and, and really test it with them is probably a much stronger thing than doing it on your own normally.
0: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I definitely, <laughs> definitely agree with that.
2: Yeah, Eugene and I actually live at essentially opposite ends of, uh, like, Los, the Los Angeles area. So our, our groups don't overlap much, although I have drafted over his place, uh, I think, at least once, maybe twice, uh, for sure. And we do the exact same thing, especially prior to Pro Tours. You know, we'll actually get, like, you know six eight guys and we'll go to different pre-releases and just try and win as many packs as possible and you know conserve those to draft as many times as we can in, in preparation for that event because it's definitely true you know the week before the set actually comes out and uh after the pre-releases happen that's a week where you know you have access to product but not you know unlimited access to product so if you can, any prep you can get during that time is essentially you know a, a big leg up uh
0: over the course of the week yeah that's a really important point um and, and often overlooked. I mean, I don't want to encourage everybody to go just shark their pre-releases. <laughs> or do. It's so fun. It's good to have access to as much product as, as you need to be able to run, you know, five drafts in that week.
2: Yeah, also, you know, if you're the kind of guy who likes to split finals with pre-releases, this might not be for you. Uh,
1: it's just, <laughs> I'm just saying. That's, well, there's also that's a level of, happen. you know, this is a maybe for people that aren't planning on doing this. If you have other friends in your store oh, yeah. that are trying to do this know that, like, well, you know, it's really not a good idea to open packs ever, generally, and so these are people <laughs> that will generally give you somewhat of a premium over just opening them for these packs, because they're trying to accomplish something, and you can help them out.
2: One of one of the best stories from our last, uh, for, well, not the last one, but for PTM15 was we were, you know, trying to get a, a draft together, and uh, we had, you know, a group on Facebook messaging back and forth, and we are seeing who has packs, and uh, one of the, the locals, Adam Mancuso, replies, "Yeah, I only had three so I opened them all, and we're like, "What are you? That's the only number you should never open from." <laughs> if you could not open any number, it would be three. That is the not open number. Uh, we managed to still get enough packs together, of course, but <laughs> the man is addicted. <laughs>
1: So, I guess, so, you know, that's coming from the perspective of a new format or a shaken up format. If you were to walk into a format that was kind of already solved or figured out, what's your general plan kind of the go about entering a tournament in that sense? I'm going
0: to look at the top decks. Um, I'm going to figure out if there is one that's just better than the others. Um, and if not, then I find the one that suits my play style the best. Um, and I just try to play as many games as I can against the other established archetypes. Um, I mean, I know it sounds pretty simple.
1: Right, right. I mean, and that's kind of what we've mm-hmm. always, st- you know, stressed. That's why we have the gauntlet that we go through yeah. for every deck, the tech that we do, where it's like, you know, this is if you're going to try playing these decks, you need to know how it plays against the other established decks in the format. In modern, there's a, a slightly water breadth of what those are versus mm-hmm. what standard normally is, though right now that's not necessarily maybe true, but, you know, going into these things and taking a systematic approach of learning what I need to do against each possible opponent I'm playing against is going to be much more successful than being like, well, I think all these cards work together. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to show up and see how it goes. Oh, that didn't work.
2: I'll never discourage anyone from just focusing in. It's definitely great, and especially in a format that's really wide. Uh, just learning, and, and I should say, especially in a format that's really wide and complex, learning one deck really, really well is going to pay off dividends over the course of you know weeks, months, even years sometimes, uh, especially in the case of Modern. Personally, I actually generally if i'm if I'm gonna be playing a format regularly uh, and I, I learned this tactic or I should say I became convinced that this tactic was good <laughs> uh, a really long time ago and extended when I spent uh, an entire format it was ext- it was extended and it was very diverse and I spent the whole PTQ season just testing like every deck and learning all the decks like really well in and out and I played I think a different deck in like almost every peach PT- I think every actual every PTQ and uh, I eventually just won one with, like, and it was literally just, you know, that was the deck for that weekend. And, you know, right, right. But I was only able to do that because I had that deep knowledge. Like, I didn't have to test that deck extensively because I'd already played against it a bunch of times and I was testing all the other decks, you mm-hmm. know, and, and I was able to convert any knowledge that I was missing to be able to think it through and it's like, well, what do I know from what I already know? And how can I put that to use in this situation? So when you know a format really, really well, you can that's when you can actually afford to kind of make those moves. But... In general, you definitely want to stick to what you know, unless you have the time to make that kind of commitment.
1: Right, and, and something that's interesting about Modern is it kind of does give you a little bit of that time, and and the benefit of that on the other end is even if you're just honing in on a specific deck, the best way to learn how to beat other decks is to play with them. Because if I'm playing with a deck, then yeah. I know what I'm afraid of, and then I can know ahead of time, <laughs> oh, okay, well, you know, Affinity is afraid of these things happening to them, let me do those things <laughs> so that they lose. Absolutely, like um even if even if you're just gonna hone
0: on one deck, you really do want to play the other as the other decks um and and in a format like modern that's I think that's um, even more true because uh there's a lot of powerful things that you can be doing in modern if you don't play the decks, uh you don't really know that that well when they're going to be able to execute like what their critical turn is. Um, 100%. A lot of the time you'll actually be living in fear that they can do something crazy on a, a turn earlier than the, their actual critical turn is if you don't play those decks.
2: One of the other things that's huge, and you mentioned Affinity, so it's a, it's a pretty good example. Uh, you learn when you can go for powerful things with you know your decks. So say I'm playing Affinity, I know the kinds of damage I can do, like what kind of clock I can present, and I get good at counting all of that stuff. Uh, but one of the things that's harder for you to actually figure out is exactly when and how your opponent can kind of disrupt you. Uh, You usually find out when you get got, which, you know, in testing, that's fine. But at a tournament, you know, when you're all of a sudden like, oh, this is the turn where he's going to have the mana to kill my guy and be able to stop a cranial plating. That's bad. Like, that's a bad turn. Uh, And playing the other side teaches you that because that's when you're looking for the holes. Right. And you see like, oh, that's the turn where I can present two spells the fastest. And if he has doesn't have the right thing at that point, then I get to win. Uh, and, And the tables can turn that fast, especially in modern. You can just suddenly reverse things.
1: All right, so, you know, we've you know we've been talking kind of in theory land about what you would kind of go about, but I kind of want to hear, like, what was your process, and what did you go through, and, and then eventually maybe walk us through some parts of what you did to do GP Orlando, and, you know, eventually won that tournament, so there's got to be some amount of interesting, valuable information that you kind of learned from going through that process, and interesting techniques you had going to do that
2: yeah we know place, you spent right? all weekend just getting lucky so friday night's really <laughs> what
1: well, we want to talk about <laughs> well friday night i
0: actually did absolutely nothing i flew in um i had a steak and then i went to bed but uh the two weeks <laughs> so leading up ready? yeah that's a lot of uh so i guess the prep started at the pre-release um just trying to win as many packs as possible. It actually didn't go that well, but <laughs> we, we got enough that we were able to run drafts uh, every night of the week until the actual set came out and was available for a purchase. Okay, um, and then uh, I did one release sealed event, and then continued to do drafts. Um, so I would say did I think nine or ten drafts before uh, before the Grand Prix. Okay, um, which was enough to get a sense of how the format was. Different from other formats, mm-hmm. um, in in my experience, uh, it, those ten drafts, I felt like it was um, relatively slow and um, like the. I mean, obviously. Just from looking at the spoiler, you can see that the critical turns are 3 and 5. Right. Um, it's really important to get your land drops, so a lot of people were on 18 lands. I generally agreed with that, although I did not play 18 lands in all of my decks for various reasons. Um, and um, I also got a sense of like when to start taking uh, non-basic lands. Um, you know what cards I'm willing to prioritize over them, and then there was kind of a line, and uh, below that I would just take a non-basic land and draft. Um, and that that paid off because I was able to have good mana in um, my first two drafts and reasonable mana in my uh, top eight draft as well. So
1: now that you've kind of gone through and you you were at the GP and you kind of figured out what your plan was and you won, you're now going to the Pro Tour.
0: Uh, yes.
1: Okay. That's correct. And so you're going to Pro Tour. You're going to Pro Tour Fate Reforged in Washington D.C. Um, and the format is modern. Uh, yes. Okay. So what kind of do you have? What What are your current plans going to that direction? What do you think? What steps do you think you might want to take? Obviously, we don't release all the information because it's somewhat secretive because you don't want to give all your secrets away. But like, <laughs> um, where do you think you'd be going this way to kind of figure out what format it's going to become or what you kind of want to go doing that direction? Right.
0: Well, honestly, I don't have a lot of secrets right now. I right. haven't been playing a lot of modern because we've been preparing for the standard Grand Prix, and, and there aren't a lot of modern tournaments coming up anytime soon. Uh, that said, um, I, I have been reading about the format. Uh, people have said that it's changed a lot, because of the printing of a few key cards and cons, namely Jeskai Ascendancy, Treasure Cruise, and Dig Through Time. Right. Um, and that uh, this is basically... I mean, some people are saying that you have to play Island in your deck. I'm, so it's,
2: it's been said, yeah. Uh, I think prior to the last Modern Pro Tour, a lot of people actually delayed working on the format until the ban and restricted list announcement because they expected change. And it had been right. kind of like subtly implied there would be change. And this time I think people might be operating under a similar impression in some ways. Uh, because they expect Wizards to kibosh this, but I'm actually less sure that that will happen. They they may kibosh ascendancy, but something like the Cruise and Dig, like even if those might necessitate a banning, because mm-hmm. I do think Cruise is probably better than ancestral vision, which is banned. Right. Uh, I I think they're much more interested in like actually having a PT that looks different from the last PT
1: right, right. than
2: in going out of their way to make sure that the format doesn't get too degenerate. Because you know it's not that big a deal if moderns degenerate for a couple months. It just really isn't like yeah, I think in, in the, the grand, grand scheme There's a
1: GP. The the new PTQQ system doesn't start, so there's yeah. not even like local store run major modern tournaments. So they they do kind of have a, an interesting window where they kind of can just let it be crazy for a couple of months and then figure out where to go from yeah. there.
2: So it'll it'll kind of actually depend a little bit on how they want that Pro Tour to look, uh, less so than maybe how powerful the cards actually are. I think so. Th- there's both pros and cons to uh waiting on the development i am curious uh who you're if you know who you're planning to prepare with already are you going to stick with your your local group i imagine you will regardless but are you also maybe working with some uh, some of the teams
0: or anyone outside of the state i don't have a team yet
1: oh so <laughs> you know teams out there free agent. <laughs>
0: uh yeah I, I haven't really started looking of course. for that i mean it's It's pretty far in the future.
1: Plus, plus we just kind of got off. And the next thing I kind of want to talk about is...
0: That's what you get for qualifying so early. I just want to point that out. The
2: the later you qualify, the easier all this is to just fall into place.
1: Um, I mean, and we just did come back from GPLA. I mean, we all played in that, and and that took an extreme amount of testing because Standard really doesn't bounce out anywhere close to even now after the GP. The fact that the top eight at GP the G- GPLA was completely different, or not completely different, but very close to completely different. It was different significantly then. different, yeah.
2: And and the metagame was also, I think, significantly different from right. the Pro Tour. You had a lot of the Pro Tour players on their way back, in, uh, and many of them reprised their previous decks, but some of them
1: didn't. Some of right. them changed. Well, uh, I think someone said we had, of the 27 best players in the world right now, we had 22 of them at GPLA.
2: That sounds credible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Did see a lot of them in the room. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess before we, you know, you played a very unique or at least unique deck walking into the format, and no one really expected coming in for the standard GP. Do you want to talk about kind of how you came to decide to play that deck, how that deck kind of plays, go through the deck itself, and maybe see if that's kind of a good place to start uh, standard right now? All right, so uh, I played the Sidisi Whip Reanimator
0: deck. Um, it was featured at the Pro Tour. Um, Christian Seibold received a deck tech video on that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the core of the deck is 4CDC for Whip of Erebos, as you can guess from the name. <laughs> um, <clears throat> the Whip of Erebos serves two functions um, in the metagame. Uh, first, it gives all your creatures lifelinks, so uh, if you play it into a reasonably developed board, and get an attack in against the Jeskai Wins deck, uh, you'll probably gain enough life to negate two of their big burn spells, uh, at which point it becomes very difficult for them to execute the get-you-down-to-eight and then just kill you with right. burn spells. And plan. the whip
1: is still in play. It's not like it went away. So right. they still yeah. have
0: the problem of it being around. Right. So they have to deal with it uh, at like very quickly or they won't be able to kill you in any way. Um, and then... Um, the activated ability is really for uh, whipping back Hornet Queen and Sidisi, Um to create a permanent board presence with the activated ability, though. Hornet Queen is what you want to be doing, uh, ideally, but if you have none, then you can whip back Sidisi. Mm-hmm. When you whip back Hornet Queen, you get uh, four Death Touch Flyers, uh, which pretty much stops any reasonable attempt at a creature-based attack on
1: you. Right. I mean, when it comes down to it, I don't... You know, the major deck in this format especially, or the format of the GP, was Abzan mm-hmm. mid-range, and those decks just can't get through Hornet tokens. Right, and in
0: game one, they generally don't have access to Bile Blight or Drown in Sorrow, so they really can't attack you with a creature angle. Um, and it makes it very difficult for them to win through Planeswalkers as well, because uh, 1-1 Death Touch flyers are very good good at attacking through larger flyers and killing planeswalkers. Yep, definitely.
1: And it, and, and it really comes down to is like Elsbeth is maybe their only out, and even then, you're still you value-wraising, yeah, yeah, you can race it down pretty yeah.
0: quick. Yeah. So. And, and the whip yeah. will counteract the offense of the soldiers. Right, so she'll get six soldiers out of it, um, and they will not be doing enough damage to stop your four-life a turn. Right. And that's off a
1: single activation. Okay, so, you know, you... You kind of noticed that this had a good strength and format. How did you, did you test much against it? I know you had a kind of an enti- like six other people that jumped on board with the deck with you. Um, and all of the, or uh, a significant amount of them made it to the day two of the tournament. So it was obviously a good choice. How did you all kind of come to the decision that this was for sure the deck you guys wanted to play? Uh, so I was uh, testing with my roommate, Brandon, and um,
0: he actually went and built the deck as soon as he saw the deck tech. And I, I was not taking the deck seriously at that point, but we just started playing some games where I was playing the, the big two decks, Jeskai and Abzan, and uh, he was consistently crushing me. So I thought maybe there is something to the deck, and then like basically every time he played the Whip, he would just beat me. So uh, <clears throat> I thought this is something I should take seriously. Right. Um, so we we started playing some more and figuring out how to tune the sideboard, um, and and we kept playing against the the two big decks and and also against the uh, blue-black control deck that came out of the Pro Tour, and and it was doing really well in testing, so I just I started championing the deck mm-hmm. with the rest of the playgroup um, and uh, managed to get three other people on board. We all made day two. Right, yeah.
2: One of the things I actually didn't like about that deck was how it plays in the post-board games. Uh, you said you messed with the sideboard a little. you want yeah. to tell us what you changed about it or how you tried to adjust for people when you expected them to, you know, start having access to things like Drown and Sorrow or Doomwake Giant to try and recoup advantage.
0: Right, so I should say that we expected to lose to Doomwake Giant. 100%. <laughs> Me too, so we're with that. I, I was on a completely different deck, but that was my plan. We really couldn't think of any reasonable answer other than stay in the mind. Um, and, uh, <laughs> reasonable is a loose one on that guy, yeah. Between the four of us, we played against uh, Doom Make Giant decks three times. We lost every match, just yeah. not even close. I played once, and it was my intentional draw at the end of the tournament, <laughs> so it was pretty good timing. <laughs> that is good timing. Um, yeah, so assuming that that was just a, a dead loss, um, we, uh, it, I, I did get the sense after playing sideboard games that uh, every single deck was able to recoup a lot of their disadvantage um, structurally through a good sideboard. Um, I was hoping that the deck flew under the radar to some extent. Um, there was a deck tech video on it, but if you look at the list of decks, standard decks that went 7-3 and three or better at the Pro Tour, it was not on there because it did not in fact go 7-3 right. or better. So uh, I took a gamble that people just wouldn't take the deck seriously. They wouldn't test it. And um, I believe uh, out of all of the players who were playing a similar deck in the room, uh, there were there were six people and four of them were were our group, and mm-hmm. then the other two were um, pro players that just reprised the deck from the pro tour.
1: Okay. Um, I guess so. Then lastly, before we kind of get to the deck tech and move on. Um, what was... Do you have any favorite moments from either the GPs? What was, like, the best thing that kind of happened during those two situations? Any games that were really interesting? Any kind of stories, like, oh, I'm that.
0: Well, I sense. mean, obviously my favorite moment was hoisting the trophy. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not, <laughs> let's not be dishonest here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I would say that, uh, like, the most... <clears throat> one of the most interesting games I played was actually in the finals, um of gp orlando it was the game that i lost um but uh i was i was stuck on mana a little bit um and that hindered my development to the point where uh, melissa was able to develop her board but i was holding an aerostorm and um i i thought that i was playing to the best of my ability to try and get her low enough but i also had this um conflicting objective in my mind where uh I had all these cards in my hand, and I thought, if I um, if I die before cast, getting to cast a significant number of them, um, then then I would, well, obviously I would lose the game if I died. Uh, <laughs> if I played so aggressively that the game came to an end, or came almost came to an end before I would get to cast a significant number of my cards, then I would surely lose. Um, so I had a 1-1 Death Touch creature, a Ruthless Ripper. And every single turn I had to agonize over whether to attack with it <laughs> because <laughs> Melissa had a teamer ascendancy. So even if she had no uh board,
1: she I knew she board. had a lot yeah, of yeah.
0: creatures. Um they were very large and that could threaten my life total very quickly. Uh and, and they had trample, so it would be hard to chump block them later with a different creature, um it would to any sort of profit. So every single turn regardless of whether she looked like she could attack me I had to decide whether to attack with it and every single point of damage added up uh, at the end of the game she was at 7 life and I had an arrow storm so I think that I did not navigate that quite correctly <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, that's actually uh, the principle you're, you're discussing having all the cards in your hand and not wanting to not get a cast and that's one of the reasons when you ha- wind up having a mulligan pretty aggressively it's often correct to go aggressive in the game Uh, to try and put your opponent in that exact spot. You know, they are strand all their cards in. So if anyone's having trouble with Moles to 5, try attacking a little more often and might be able to convert some of those losses into Ws.
1: So to kind of wrap up, you know, this, you know, tournament prep and kind of concisely say everything we kind of talked about, um, you know, make sure to have a good group of friends, you know, be social, (laughs) um, you know, or, or at least find competent players that you trust that you can play with and and, you use their information. For instance, you know, you wouldn't have come across the CDC deck without, you know, your roommate kind of jumping on board with it and showing you that, you know, this is a deck we need to be on board and your other three teammates who kind of got on the day two because they jumped on board wouldn't have got there without your help and kind of informing them this is a deck that attacks from a different position. Um, Beyond that, you know, become competent, kind of learn the field, do play testing, learn what your opponent's decks are doing. So take you're, you know you know in modern you know if you're going to play affinity it's still important to play with pod decks to borrow your friends deck to kind of play against your deck and kind of figure out the best way that you can either apply pressure to them in ways that they're not normally expecting or to be able to defense against the things that they're normally playing to do against you um, and then lastly you don't know, have a steak dinner before you go to a, a gp every friday
2: <laughs> i had my steak dinner after l.a. that's that must be why yeah, that's I'm why, you, why yeah, i bought you didn't too, right? yeah. did you have
1: a steak
0: on friday last friday uh you know i i suppose i did not so had, no, I really that's failed. i mean i had
1: a korean barbecue the night after i lost everything and that was a lot of steak but yeah i, I guess i didn't have any good keep that one on, yeah, no, yeah. protein <laughs> well, there might be a pattern there <laughs> <laughs> apparently correlation does cause causation um so, yeah, so next, you know, we kind of want to go into the deck deck on Ascendancy Combo. You know, this is a deck that, you know, the breakdown kind of where it came from. It's a new card. Um, it's a card from Cons of Tarkir, which we all probably and all you guys probably know about. Um, it's probably too broken to survive in the format for very long. Uh, you know, Modern, has Wizards has tried to make Modern a format that is all about turn four. And they have been tried and made active banning attempts to prevent any deck from consistently being able to win before that. And this is a deck that can consistently win on turn three, and can just and often can win on turn two. Yeah. So putting taking this deck that is you know hard to hate out functions on a level that other decks don't function on functions at a level that Wizards has banned other decks just because they function on this level like Eggs or Storm where it's not an interactive combo deck um, makes it seem like it won't survive very long. But we do want to address it because over the next six months or three months at least until the next Pro Tour where when banning's normally would happen we're all going to have to live with this deck being in the format. For sure. Um, the the main card, you know, Just Guy Sentency, what it does is it's a blue, a white, and a red. Um, anytime you cast a non-creature, spells, a non-creature spell, you loot. So that means you draw a card and discard a card, and you untap all creatures you control, and they get plus one, plus one. So it kind of does, like, 16 different things. It feels like it's just kind <laughs> yeah. stapled abilities. It, it has under. a lot of
2: text, and to be honest, I'm really curious as to which one was last. <laughs> because without one of these lines, like... It's a completely different uh, player in every format. So every single one matters.
1: Um, You know, one of the other things that kind of make it, and, you know, we're kind of going to go through cards. That's Ascendancy. You know, the other thing that it's generally trying to do is get Mana Dorks in play. Now, Mana Dorks have classically been good, and this is one of the reasons it accelerates to turn two very easily, because a turn one Birds of Paradise into a turn two Ascendancy with a a Getaxian Probe, which lets you, you know, play a spell for free, Mm -hmm. you know, starts letting the chain go off as the turn. Cuz the way it works is every time you cast one of the many blue spells in the deck which are all one or not blue spells, many cantrips in the deck, let you know mm-hmm. starts the chain over gaining you mana, drawing you cards and you know the loot also lets you make sure the dra- cards you draw are the cards you need to draw and it just keeps the chain going until you eventually just out- mm-hmm. kill them either with a relatively infinitely large Birds of Paradise, or using Glittering Wish, which we'll talk about, to get one of the main win conditions of letting you burn out your opponent by doing damage how big your creature is to their face.
2: Yeah, it's important to note that if you have only one mana dork can play, the only spells that actually generate mana in this way are Dritaxian Probe, Manamorphose, and Cerulean Wisps. Uh, because you get the additional untapping from Cerulean Wisps, and you don't have to pay mana for the previous two spells. They they just net out the same. Uh, But all the other spells, once you have two Mana Dorks in play, they then start performing the same trick. However, if you do only have one, they're just drawing you cards for free and filtering through your deck, finding you, in turn, the other spells. So that's kind of how you can always make sure you cast enough rituals to occasionally invest a mana when you might need to.
0: It might be important to note that... uh... More of your spells will generate. I, I, all of your spells will generate mana if you have multiple Jeskai ascendancies in oh, play. Oh, also true. Right. right. Yeah. You,
1: yeah. The 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 deck starts. If you we, we will actually link to. There's there's some videos of of players playing this on YouTube. And if you actually look at it, the video, you know, having either two Jeskai ascendancies in play or two um, mana dorks in play, kind of just makes you feel almost invincible. Yeah. Like they just they go off to such an extreme amount. Massive they, like, delta in what you're doing right. for sure. Uh,
2: the games where you have one of each are going to generally be like kind of tight, and the points where you're a little vulnerable, but the games where you have two of either, uh, as long as you do have one of the other, uh, very strong.
1: Right. Um, now, you know, a lot of people, the next card I really want to talk about is Glittering Wish, and it's kind of the card that everyone was at first harking that should be banned. Um, and what Glittering Wish <laughs> does is it lets you search your sideboard for any gold card and put it into your hand. And with you know with Guy a gold card that makes it so you have seven copies of the main spell you need to kill people, uh, the main combo engine, along with the fact that you know it lets you get you know random sideboard cards you might need, or the main other win condition, which is flesh and blood, which is the one that lets your your you know the creatures that you have that maybe can't attack or that they have a blocker just do straight do their damage to their face. Um, the reason people are saying this should be banned is because, you know, in Wizards History they go after, you know, not necessarily the newer card, but maybe the card that kind of has the potential to make it harder to print more cards because other cards can kind of do a similar thing. So for instance, you know, when Vengevine was printed, they, you know, everyone was like Vengevine should be banned because it's the card that made Survival of the Fittest good. But in reality, Survival of the Fittest is just always a broken card and Vengevine proved that anytime they print a creature that's good that comes out from the graveyard, mm-hmm. it's going to be a problem. I don't think
2: we'll be seeing a Glittering Wish ban in this particular case because Glittering Wish does nothing to change the speed of the deck, actually. Like, the deck will still be able to win on the same turns, just slightly less frequently. And Wizards has placed such a strong emphasis on making those turn two and three kill decks off-limits. You know, like Storm, they haven't banned, you know, the Pyromancer, essentially, or whatever. They banned Seeding Thongs because that's what they saw as the contributor right, to up. making that turn two win uh, most frequent because of the ability to actually get two mana out of a ritual, which none of the other rituals do. So Glittering Wish only adds consistency it would be akin to the ponder preordained ban right. essentially which in this case I, I don't think that's the kind of limiting we're going to see
1: well the other thing that also you know it would slow it maybe down a turn but with its consistent or at least slow down the consistency of turn but ideal tutor is also in the format so there's a tutor that lets you search out an enchantment it does the exact yeah. same thing that right. I mean, it would, do. it would
2: definitely make the deck worse but like you would just die on turn two less often right, right? but not like it's not like the deck is no longer a turn two turn three deck it's right. just not doing it as quickly
1: or um, As often, i should say um, the last piece, you know, the last card that is also from Cons and is kind of one of the things that puts a lot of decks in the format into Overdrive, and this one especially, is Treasure Cruise. This is a card that, you know, the deck could whiff. Like, there is a chance that, you know, the deck will try doing all of its things and then just draw too many lands or too, mana, too many mana creatures and not enough of the spells that actually, you know, and enough of the cantrips. But what Treasure Cruise kind of lets it do is it kind of lets you just dig your way out of that. If you have a Treasure Cruise in hand, this deck is very good at filling up your graveyard. Um, and lets you kind of just draw three cards and start over again. It's almost a reset button on the whole situation, making it so it's almost impossible, not impossible for you to kind of draw out your deck and end up with nothing, but it makes it much more difficult for you to mess up in playing the deck.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Right, and it also makes the looting ability from Jeskaisen see so much better and actually enabling you to go off, because it makes sure that you don't run out of cards to discard to it, and also... um, the looting ability itself fuels your ability to cast Treasure Cruise.
2: One of the primary ways to fight a deck like this one is also discard effects. Inquisition of Kozlik and Thoughtseize are easily two of the best cards you could be casting if you know your opponent's playing Jeskai Ascendancy. And obviously Treasure Cruise fights those cards on like a format-wide level. Right. Uh, I think right. we'll actually see a huge shift in the playability of Thoughtseize decks uh, which previously, you know, it was arguable that Black Green Midrange was the best, if not, like, at least among the, the best three best deck, decks yeah, yeah. In the format, uh, at any the, given inception. time. Uh, and now, with the printing of Treasure Cruise, it's entirely possible it's not even one of the best decks right. uh, because that card is so incredible at fighting against Liliana, Thoughtseize, Inquisition, right. and it really could warp the format in that way.
1: Well, it, it's really, it's interesting and kind of like a weird Perfect Storm situation that the deck that, that you know, Jeskai Ascendancy's biggest weakness would be jund or or green-black X decks, because of Thoughtseize, because of Inquisition, because of Abrupt Decay, but along with this card being printed, they printed Treasure Cruise, which is the biggest nail in the coffin for that deck being possibly playable in the format. So it's like, there is one deck that would be theoretically very good at fighting this deck, and it's no longer playable because blue is just now the color that everyone's playing, because it just destroys what this deck is trying to attempt to do.
0: I think that um, the deck that becomes the deck that... Um, that black green midrange was possibly is uh, blue eyed red control. It is, its disruption elements are slower, um, but it does have the ability to uh, disrupt plays through counter magic. And more importantly, it has very cheap removal for the mana creatures, which can stop Ascendancy from going off as quickly and buy them enough time to where they can uh, start using their counter magic to, to stop what Ascendancy is doing. Uh, and it can also play Treasure Cruise if it wants. Yes. Right.
2: Uh, it's also the deck that already sideboards very frequently both Celestial Purge and Wear Tear, which are two pretty reasonable answers uh, to Ascendancy. So I agree yeah. it can present uh, the best interaction uh, pretty early and also has a ton of ways to recoup cards. And also, it's a deck that profits significantly uh, from a decrease in Jund in the format because that matchup has always been very even to occasionally unfavorable. Uh, I don't think Blue-White-Red has ever been like super far ahead of Jund at any point.
1: Blue-White-Red so. has always had kind of a problem with Thoughtseize into uh Tarmogoyf and just
2: Yeah, I mean it's it's really yeah. more about if a, a Bob or Lily lives t- generally true. speaking. True, I mean true. the Bob should never live but you know every now and then the Thoughtseize your bolt and you have to path a Bob and that's a nightmare but like that's just what you have to do. You literally cannot let them untap top the dark Confidant <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> at any cost. Uh, and you know you have answers to just the beatdown but they're so spell dense they have a bunch of manlands uh, your man land is not very good against them because they can actually remove it uh, right. with terminate, which you know would otherwise be a blank card against you. So it, it can be a, a really tricky matchup. I, I think it generally goes just from like a coin flip to like a fifty five percent for Jund, and, and is but now that Jund you know is actually disappearing, that's that's pretty nice for Blue. Right,
1: right, right. And, and and the fact that you know we've mentioned this before, but White generally has the best selection of cyborg cards in oh, the yeah. format, and that is still inclusive against. Um, Ascendancy Combo. Ascendancy Combo, you know, they're, you know, Eidolon, um, actually both Eidolons, both good modern Eidolons. (laughs) The one of Great (laughs) revels is great against it, which is a red one, but the white one as well, which is Eidolon of... Rhetoric. Rhetoric. Eidolon of Rhetoric, which prevents people from playing, uh, you know, X amount of spells a turn, more than one, really stops Ascendancy Combo from coming off, and those are things completely available. And the one thing I think Ascendancy Combo is weak against is proactivity. So there is nothing really in the deck that stops people from doing their own thing. So you know, just guys like there. You know, as we talked about, there is no lightning bolt in the deck. There's no removal in the deck. It's solitaire. So it's it's really just it's going to do its thing. So as long if what you're doing either stops their thing or is you know possibly puts them on the you know on the left foot so you can kind of kill them ahead of time, then it might have a decent matchup against their situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Being
0: proactive definitely is. Probably the answer to that. Like, if you can provide a proactive plan along with disruptive elements and it's not weak to treasure cruise, then I think that's the key to the beating this deck. And actually, a lot of people have said that Blue Red Delver has all these Mm -hmm. things because it can present a clock on turn one and then all of its disruption is one or two mana. Uh, So it can stop them long enough. Um, and refill its hand with Treasure Cruise. Oh man, coincidence.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I do agree that Blue-Red Delver is definitely good against this deck. It has both Delver and Monster Swift Spear as guys that go through Sylvan Carry added, uh, and its 2-drop Young Pyromancer also goes through Sylvan Carry added, uh, which is one of the issues the Blue-Red deck could have, is that it doesn't really have pressure. Uh, Normally, in combo matchups, if you're playing Blue-Red, it's not uncommon. To on turn three, or like, you know, like turn two, bolt someone in the face, turn three, snap the bolt back at them and get a two one into play and start attacking and try and get a clock on the so that your cryptic commands actually do something. Uh, in this matchup, so when carry added means that your snapcaster rage is not going to attack them to death, true. which true, true. is true. a little inconvenient, to be quite honest, as a snapcaster rage enthusiast. <laughs> uh, but blue red delver suffers from no such problems. Uh, right. I mean, bl- it, the blue white red deck really will have to lean on Vendillion Click, I think, to make its counter magic to turn into a clock whereas Blue Red Delver like every card can basically kill them as long as you don't die
1: right and, and I, I can also completely imagine the Blue Red decks moving actually towards the Blue White Red devil decks that were really popular towards the beginning of the modern format where yeah, sure. adding that early turn threat is helpful and then they can do their plan of I have all the removal spells
2: yeah less Jun yeah. could easily mean more Geist of St. Draft
1: that's true um The next part, I guess, you know, as always, we kind of want to get into the gauntlet. We've kind of been describing it to a certain extent already. Um, A few decks I do want to kind of focus on. Do they survive? Are they good against this deck? Uh, The first one would be Pod or Uh, Pod variants. Pretty
2: sure Pod's atrocious against this deck. It's already just not built to remove creatures and to just have a better board. But Jeskai Sentency could not care less about the board uh, and is just playing Solitaire. So post-board, you've actually got some interaction when you can start getting your bullets. Uh, But even then, you know, like Court of Calling, you have to have 5 mana or, like, some number of guys to get to an... an
0: uh, to get to an Aether one canonist, which you could actually die before you get that. Right. And not only that, but if Blue-Red Delver turns out to be the answer to Jeskai Ascendancy, Pod is god-awful against that deck, too. Yep, so. definitely. <laughs> uh, I, I think that the
2: decks that prey on Jeskai Ascendancy get to prey on Pod as well, and so I, I imagine we might see a downtick in Pod, although it's a very powerful and versatile deck capable of killing in its own right, so... Uh, you know, it's it's difficult to say that it's right. going to like disappear to the extent that we think Jund might actually recede, uh, because the presence of Jeskai ascendancy in the format is going to be warping, but not as warping as Treasure Cruise, which is you know a format wide multiple decks adopting it, right. and that's really the problem for Jund. One having one or two bad matchups or slightly more common bad matchups, that's not the kind of thing that kills a
1: deck. Um, I mean, I feel like. You, we might see them having to start main decking more Thoughtseize and or Abrupt decays than they previous have. I know that a lot of, especially at least in the Lyropod decks, main deck two Abrupt Decay, Abrupt Decay and they might have to go up. And it might be the one deck that takes advantage of those cards that can kind of do something against this. I don't think Thoughtseize actually is the right answer because of the fact that Treasure Cruise is a card and Thoughtseize is just yeah. not good anymore. Um, or at least not as good. Sure. Um, I do think that, you know, it does have the realm of versatility in the sense that it has some of those white one-card answers that can stop this deck from going off, but it might just be too slow because of the fact that Pod happens on turn four, and this deck happens on turn two. <laughs>
2: Frankly, I'm just quite happy that the Pod person's going to be seeing, you know, like turn one, Manador, turn two, three, drop, and going, ah, oh, come on! This, <laughs> this is ridiculous!
1: How is <laughs> this card not banned? That's not remotely reasonable. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I will uh, say that if birthing pod is to survive as a strategy, it will be, <coughs> it will be because it's somehow able to figure out how to uh, disrupt Jeskai Ascendancy long enough to land either a cord or a pod for Linvala, and Linvala yes. almost single-handedly beats the Jeskai Ascendancy deck with any reasonable clock because it shuts off uh, the vast majority of their mana production. Theoretically, they can glittering wish for um, a. Fiery Justice and get rid of it, but that takes that play takes so much mana, and Linvala shutting off all the mana dorks means it would take a minimum of two turns just to do this.
2: Yeah, but I definitely agree that Linvala is uh, a pretty good, and actually, when I know Sam Party, and that's one of the lists that we're referencing for this discussion, actually, you know, started saying you know Justician is a big deal. It was joked that Sam just wanted another deck he could Linvala. <laughs> 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 but uh, I, I do think that. We might see her starting to see more play, which uh, is uh, good for her price tag, which is already quite high. Right, it's ridiculous <laughs> so, how high
1: that card is. it's yeah. like one of the most expensive cards out of Pod once you have the mana base, because it's just like an angel that's good at, at, yep. in every format. I guess <laughs> it's playable in. From the vault, cash grab coming to stores <laughs> soon. <Yeah. laughs> um, I think the last thing I think I do think that you know oh. we've talked about malira Pod in the past. I think that uh, Kiki Pod variants might be slightly stronger now versus mm-hmm. what they were before because you know, the format is becoming a little bit more combo-centric, and therefore having a deck that, you know, instead of them trying to stop what, you know, Just Guy is doing, they're just trying to just, like, I'm going to win as soon as I can might just be a better plan for them. Um,
0: I have played a lot of Kiki Pod, and it, it's not really feasible to go off before Turn 4. So if you have... And actually, Kiki Pod decks have even less disruption than the typical Malira Pod or Angel Pod deck. so if you have to wait that long... And Jeskai Ascendancy not going to give you that window. And right. I think, actually, the deck got worse against Ascendancy, at least.
1: Okay. Fair enough. Um, Next. So we've talked about it. I guess we talked about this a little bit. The next two things, actually. Uh, Delver, which is our new addition to the Gauntlet. It didn't used to be here, but it's obviously a new friend that we're going to have to live with. Um, I do think, we, you know, we mentioned before that this is a deck that can have a pretty good game against Jeskai Ascendancy because it puts on a threat early and then it can protect themselves from dying while that threat kind of does all the damage it needs to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's, you know, the answers that Just Guy Sentency would have against this plan, you know, we run, they do run a few swan songs on the side. I honestly think that a swan song, your own spell could possibly need to be a necessary game plan against a Delver at certain points.
2: It's a, it's a play I'm certain that they'll just have to make every now and then. It's like obviously a dire straits kind of situation.
1: I, I don't know. I think that your plan
2: for the matchup is mostly going to just be that they fail to interact uh, with ascendancy itself because they have so much interaction with their creatures, so you're just gonna try and like land an ascendancy and then get to a turn where you can play like, you know, two or three guys and maybe one protection spell and then they're just stuck not being able to kill everything through a protection spell and you get to untap and kill them. That that's my like just gut intuition on how you play that portion
0: of that matchup specifically. And Sylvan Carriat helps a lot with the yes. their interactions,
1: certainly. So Next is Black Green decks, which we you know we've discussed already. Probably have a decent matchup against Ascendancy itself, but because of Treasure Cruise are probably just being murdered out of the format.
2: I, I don't think they'll be murdered out of the format, but they certainly got worse. There's just no way, like they gained essentially nothing. Like I can't even like Murder's Cut is like sort of good, I guess. You know, like, right, right. like <laughs> nobody's <but laughs> looking at Murder's Cut and Treasure Cruise and going like this is fair. <laughs>
1: right. Well, I mean, if you look at it, the main game plans of the deck, which are to out you know to stop answers in a format where there isn't really a lot of value. And to get in with the Tarmogoyf, both of those game plans have gone bad because of Treasure Cruise and Dig Through Time and Delve Cards. Like, Tarmogoyf is not as good as it was six weeks ago because if I'm delving my graveyard out, that's things that Tarmogoyf is no longer checking for. The thing that they thought... Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of their game plans have kind of been hit, and I don't think they really gained very much. I don't think that, you know even Murderous Cut, I don't know necessarily if it's that much better for them than Dismember. Partly because of the Tarmogoyf problem. Partly because a lot of their cards like cards in their graveyard and that's the thing that gets rid of them.
2: Yeah, it, it's definitely... The deck is worse. I mean, I, like I said, I don't think it's going to disappear anywhere. I, I imagine that we might see you know, maybe a Bloodbred Elf or something come back uh, because if, if they're going to leave these, yeah, yeah. these things around because like the deck could certainly use some help. Um, it, it just is a worse deck and it'll depend on how the metagame develops, develops and the ban and restricted list changes.
1: Right. I think, you know, in the cyborg for Jeskai sentency, it does have four Leyland of Sanctity and I think that's kind of their plan and their answer to the, the matchup where, you know, shut down their discard making it so they can't kind of come out them and then just do their thing, but try and protect yourself from cards like Thoughtseize and...
2: They're uh, certainly going to bring that in against Thoughtseize decks, but I actually think it's probably uh, more necessary for the burn matchup, because if you can reduce all their burn spells to doing nothing, then you just have to not kill yourself when they play an Eidolon or a Goblin Guide or whatever. You get a little time to find your solution and then go off. Does Eidolon... It doesn't protect from Eidolon, does it? No, you still take the damage from Eidolon, but you don't have to cast all your spells. You you can wait until you can wish for that Fiery Justice and then Fiery Justice away their guys, and then Try and go off from there. So it can definitely buy you enough
1: time. Next, you know, we mentioned earlier affinity. Uh, affinity is, I think, what I would imagine the game plan is to try and kill them as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have things you can bring on the side. You know, affinity does, we talked about, you know, in the deck tech, spell snare, not spell snare, spell pierce, uh, spell pierce, um, burn spells, and thought seeds that it can bring in to kind of help deal with the matchup. But I think it's really, it's game plan A is to try and just kill them as soon as possible.
2: I think that's true in game one. Game one, you're just on a straight race. Uh, but games two and three, I think Affinity actually has to become the control deck and, yeah. and try and use those Thought Seasons and Spell Pierces uh, while presenting uh, some kind of clock, uh, much like how I described. Like the Blue or Red decks are usually attack combo. Right. Difference being, Affinity has flying clocks, so they can actually do it.
1: <laughs> um, and lastly, Splinter Twin. Um, this is previously the premier combo deck of the format. Oh, <laughs> <how> the mighty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean
2: it, it's kind of disingenuous, too, because Splinter Twin is, it's basically like the converse of Birthing Pod, right? Like, Birthing Pod's like a mid-range deck that can combo you, and Splinter Twin's like a combo deck that can mid-range you. Right. <laughs> like it's, it kind of flips back and forth.
1: And, you know, a lot of these decks we mentioned didn't get a whole lot, and this is a deck that did gain dig-through time, which makes the deck... Vroom, vroom, vroom. <laughs> Which is, you know, it's kind of the... It's now much more consistent at comboing off as a deck, so that definitely does help it. Uh, It still only can happen at at turn four. It doesn't go off any earlier than that, so that is still a problem, but it also has interaction spells unlike other decks in the format that kind of got hurt by the recent cards being added.
0: Right, and its single greatest predator, Jund, is, as we say, on the downswing. Right.
2: That will definitely be very helpful to Splinter Twin. It probably gains, I would say, aside from Jeskai's Tendency deck itself, which obviously gains an entire deck, it probably gained the most from Cons of Tarkir because, you know, it's bad matchup's going to be played less... Uh, some of its more competitive matchups will also be played less, uh, and it gets a sweet card to fight off everybody that it uses you know, in a much more dangerous way. Like, Blue Red Delvers' Treasure Cruises are drawing, you know, like Burn Spells and Remands and Delvers or whatever. Splinter Twins, like, trying to dig through time into kill you. Right, you know, right. like Or Treasure Cruise into
1: kill you. Like, like, turn five, they can Treasure Cruise into a uh, Pestermite into the the win, the win the next turn with like all at the end of your turn and then they untap and win and you could have even you know thought seized on their turn and it would it was yeah, irrelevant.
0: it's huge. it's huge
1: right. and the deck has
0: enough interaction with the mana guys that it can actually stop
1: slow down the, yeah, yeah
0: long enough to get to turn four or five and win.
2: Yeah, it, it can also you know use its counter magic against the itself, and there are also other versions of twin. You know, like there is rug twin, which we've mentioned. You know, of getting a little worse, but that deck has enough interaction to still make it work out fine, I think. Uh, and then you also have the blue eye red twin deck, which can access many of the white cyborg cards we've already discussed. So I, I think there are going to be multiple twin variants still kicking around. And twin has always been like the combo deck that kind of preys on the other combo decks because of its ability to present interaction and an actual clock. Uh, so
1: right, I mean tempo counter combo has always been somewhat strong against those because, you know, yeah. it's not like a regular tempo deck where there is a time variant. It's it's not, this wins when it wins. It's just, you know, making sure the other deck doesn't win
2: first. Yeah. Twin can do a bad Delver impression, but it's still a Delver impression, you know, at the end of the day. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, you know, we going back to, you know, how would you win if you were playing, uh, Jeskai Ascendancy against Twin, um, you know, once again, the swan songs and the sideboard, This is kind of one of the matchups it's there for. Swan song has always been somewhat decent against you know them if you're not worried about them getting additional threats in a clock that you know sometimes you do need to be worried about. But you know, if you know with just guys sent see, they're going to either win or they're going to die, and it's whoever combos off first. So them giving getting the two two flyer for their tempo plan isn't as problematic as it could be for other decks giving the tempo combo deck a another threat. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, that's, you know, kind of your game plan or the game plan against Jeskai Ascendancy. Uh, the real question is, how heavily or is this deck going to be banned? Or are they going to maybe let it go along for the next Pro Tour to kind of see a new environment for the first time in a while? There's going to be a Grand Prix before the Pro Tour that's
0: modern. Um, I know at least Omaha is happening. I'm not sure about any other Grand Prix. I think but...
1: is Madrid. No. Okay. okay. Yeah. All
0: right. But so they'll at least get to see the results of one large premier tournament before uh, the ban and restricted announcement happens.
2: Yeah, I don't think like we just talked about the deck's place in the meta game, and you know there are definitely decks that can beat it. You know, so it's not that insane. Uh, the the idea of it staying around, based on how good it is, I think. Nah, let me rephrase that completely. The idea of banning it because it's too good, I think, is not really a reason to ban it. It seems like it is good but not insane. Uh, I think it will likely merit some kind of axe because of its turn two three potential more so than because it just dominates the metagame. I I could be wrong I've been like pretty down on the deck just in general because I don't like combo decks that look like it you know. It's not my speed. (laughs) I see them walking across the street I'm like oh I'm not going over there.
1: I mean we have I have at least an entire deck tech kind of on this deck where we just hated on it for 20 (laughs) minutes being like, I can't be playable, that deck seems really bad, and then like that weekend it won you know some 50k somewhere and we we're like oh and then people start posting like oh no, this deck's the real deal and a problem and it was just like uh we ate you know ate our shit i was like no we didn't i deleted it
2: <laughs> <laughs> let it never be said that i i backtracked i still don't think it's that good but uh based on just the rules wizards that set forth for the banner restricted list it seems likely that it will take some kind of hit
1: right i, th- I think I think banning-wise, I think Treasure Cruise and Jeskai Guy Sentency are very, very, very much possibly on that chopping block. And I think it's possible that Bloodbraid Elf could be unbanned because they want to kind of make up for the fact that they're taking these cards. Well, I always um, thought Bloodbraid Elf was just, you know, took a bullet,
2: basically. Like he was, right. He, he, he didn't do that crime. <laughs> He's the fall
1: guy. Well, um, I didn't rob that bank. He's <laughs> <'Cause> my brother. <laughs> um, I think that, you know... Dig Through Time will survive. I think Dig Through Time doesn't speed up much decks, but it does make them a little bit more possible to survive. And it lets one of their premier delve cards kind of survive in the format in a way that's powerful. I don't think... Treasure Cruise is doing something that another banned card does worse. Yeah. and
2: I, I agree with that premise. The issue I have is that the decks that are going to play Dig Through Time... I mean, most of the Treasure Cruise decks would probably be willing to play it if Treasure Cruise was banned. Like, Brewer Delver's like, all right, fine, I'll play with this one. Uh, but the decks that we're choosing to play Dig Through Time over Treasure Cruise, like specifically uh, ones like, you know, uh, Scape Shift and Splinter Twin, like the card is so good in those decks and so incredible against most of the ways people interact that I I don't know. It might just still be too good. I, I th- I'm definitely, like, interested to see it because at the end of the day, it costs, uh, it costs two mana, and that's a huge difference. Right. Uh, but, you know, the effect of a Dig Through Time is way better than the effect of a Treasure Cruise. I would much rather get two of my top seven, then my random top three, in probably almost any format. Uh, the, the only exception would be a deck like Burn, where all of my cards do basically the same thing. Right. Uh, yeah. So deck, decks that are like that, uh, it's different, but any, any deck that's trying to assemble an actual card that might be better than another card yes. is going to be pretty interested in <laughs> dig through time. And that's the vast majority of Magic decks.
1: And, and I, I guess my theory on this is more based on the fact that, A, they don't want to, like, completely wide-sweep kick their newest mm-hmm. m- powerful cards out of oh, the I format. Oh, I get that, yeah. and That's lets, why
2: Deathrite Shaman stuck around so long for Right, sure.
1: right. And, and and I think that they kind of have to get rid of Treasure Cruise. I think Treasure Cruise is kind of just, like, an obvious needs to get rid of. We'll dig through time. We'll make these decks more consistent. It doesn't speed them up, and it also gives, you know, value in a different way than the format was needing. And a lot of people were talking about, we need a value engine in Modern. Modern blue decks specifically have always been kind of on the the back foot because we don't have any of the good value engines that are offered to the other. You know, the other color strengths they have, blue doesn't really have that card draw engine.
2: They don't have something that specifically competes with like Pod and Liliana, uh, which is true, but, you know, neither do a lot of decks. So (laughs) (laughs) it's like, uh, you know, kind of, I'm okay with that. I mean, I'd much rather just, you know, get rid of the other ones than add something insano. Right. But I'm interested to see how it goes. uh my one of my friends is staying with me this week chris finnell and he said I, he, he was just joking obviously but he's talking about the poetry he's like i don't know what i'm playing but it has four rest in peace <laughs> so he's just like <laughs> he's off it off it completely
1: there's no there's no helm of obedience in modern, <laughs> right no nope. that's not a card <laughs> right okay just just rest in peace um so yeah i mean I, that's kind of the deck and that's kind you know that's really the problem that it Really offers the format. It did shake it up. You know, modern is a completely different landscape than it was six months ago or three weeks ago, really, and that's very interesting. I do think that there are a lot of different things that Wizards has just stated is the rule for modern, and the cards that have been added to the format that made this deck possible all break those rules, and it makes it a situation where it's most likely there's going to be some answers to it. I don't think that the cards like Glittering Wish are going to go away, as we mentioned, because you know these are cards that just you know aren't actually inherently the problem. Glittering Wish without this card doesn't really do anything that powerful, and they can print 100,000 gold cards and still won't run into this problem. It's the engine card of what Jeskai Sentency is doing. The fact that it has these weird three stapled on abilities that all do something overtly way too powerful together, that you know, you're know you seeing problems in standard in a format where there's no way to tutor it. This is just above and beyond powerful in the format whoa, where it's like... whoa, let's
2: give Miletus Astronomer his due. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, everyone, that's kind of it for today's episode. I want to thank Eugene for coming by. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on your uh, GP win and soon-to-be Pro Tour extravaganza playing in the Pro Tour. And as far as we're concerned, Pro Tour win. Uh, Well, I wouldn't go that far, (laughs) but I'm looking forward to it. It's
2: Schrodinger's trophy right now. (laughs) It's
1: dead and it's alive at the same time. you know, you know, uh, the find Eugene on, on Twitter will actually have the link below, but also it's at dead seashells, uh, spelled like the magic card. <laughs> 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 um, and you know, we want to remind you guys to also check out our sister cousin podcast, the command cast or the, the command zone, which is at the command cast on Twitter. Um. You know, Jimmy and Josh do great content there. And also speaking of Jimmy Wong, he is uh, currently raising funds for his new web series that he's doing himself. You can actually win a ski or your own car or a jet ski. I guess ski is the brand name. Sea-Doo. sea uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you can get a jet ski, which is sweet. And, you know, he got it on the prices right, which is also completely random. But, yeah. you know, it's a great series. It's really awesome. You know, it's a musical comedy series. And, you know, it's kind of his passion project. And also, VGSS is airing right now. I actually saw a bus with Jimmy's face. Like Jimmy's a busy on. man. I know. He's got he's a lot busy of things going I'm, on. I'm
2: like a little, I feel now, like I'm already sitting at home not doing very much while I wait for my new job to start, and Jimmy's just making me feel worse right. and worse oh, about just, that. When he tells
1: me about his days, I'm like, I'm, you're, I'm exhausted listening to you. <laughs> you have a podcast. You're on three different web series. Ugh. But, um, you know, check those out. VGSS is great. We've talked about it last week. Um, you know the question of the week, if you want to put it in comments or link, uh, send it to us on Twitter, is which card do you think should be banned or not banned uh, for Modern? Mm. Um, you know we talked about what we think is going to happen. Do you think what we thought is going to happen, or do you have different opinions? Um, this is the Command Cast. This is Alex Kessler
2: and Glenn Jones,
1: and we'll see you next week.
0: Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the mmcast at rocketjump.com. Or ask us on Twitter at Kess Wiley and at Secluded Glen. See you later,
1: Alligator.